everyone, welcome to another episode of Crystalline Sci-Fi. Uh, we've got a pretty good show today. I uh, just got um, done talking to Valor. Um, we talked about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, in our last episode that I had done with him, we talked about Batman and Gotham City and DC Comics. Um, this time we talk about comics some more, but we mostly talk about more independent comics. We talk about Brian K. Vaughn, um, Saga, uh, Why the Last Man. We talk about the boys comics um, and the television show uh, on Amazon as well. And also in television, we talk about uh, the new HBO Max show Raised by Wolves. Um, so there's a lot of discussion there. And then there's uh, popular science discussions. We talked a little bit about space travel and uh, Mars or alien exoplanets. Um, and at the end, we ended up talking about GMOs and nuclear power and uh, just sort of a little bit of futurism, but also just about technology and some of our thoughts about that. Um, yeah, and uh, we also talked about the crystalline mythos. And um, we mostly focused around the character Dr. Webweaver. Uh, Dr. Webweaver is one of the primary characters. He's got a big gray beard. He's an engineer. He's uh, the dream director for Artara Labs in the story. Um if you want to find out more about him or for or about any of the other characters, uh, just check out the website, uh, www.crystallinemythos.com, or you can find a link to that in the uh, show notes. If you'd like to read the stories or gain exclusive access to uh, the material from the Crystalline Mythos as it comes out, um, you can join our community, the Mythos Crew, at Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash crystallinemythos, and there's a link to that uh, in the show notes as well. That's a great way to support the podcast, but also, you know, these sci-fi stories are pretty cool. I like them a lot. Maybe you will too. For instance, there's a new digital map, which is available there, but you can also find it on our Instagram, and that's at the underscore crystalline underscore mythos. Uh, and you'll see a lot of the character designs and art as it comes out there. And as you might expect, uh, there's a link to that in the show notes. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, that's all of the sort of basics out of the way. Uh, so we, we should just jump to the interview. It's a good interview. Uh, Valor has a lot of interesting ideas and uh, good questions. And uh, we explored a lot of stuff. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you. Hey everybody, so I'm here with Valor. Got you on the got you on the mic. How's it, How's it going, going? guys? I'm, uh, I'm doing all right. Cool, cool. 
So we have kind of a loose format today, but um, we thought we would talk about some television and some comics and a lot of stuff going on. And then if you stick around for the back half, we'll talk about the Crystalline Mythos. So please do that because, um, I don't know, that's the project that this uh, podcast is uh, based around. By the way, have you seen, did you see the website I put put together? Yeah, I did. Okay, cool. So That's cool. I'm working on it still. Got the map going. Expanding things. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, I guess let's start. Uh, I had done that podcast episode about, um, talked about Ridley Scott, talked about um, mm-hmm. the Alien franchise. And yeah. then right after that happened, um, Raised by Wolves uh, dropped. Uh-huh. And, then, and then you started texting me a lot like, whoa, okay. Because I wasn't sure if you would get all into that show or, or not, but it seems like you did. Yeah, I did. It's, so, so what do you think of Raised by Wolves? Yeah. It's uh, really interesting. Mm-hmm. I, at first when I started watching it, just because personally I see myself as kind of like, I guess, agnostic, leading atheist nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I personally was just like, oh, okay. I just kind of felt weird about how the, their atheists were. Because oh, they yeah. definitely, they definitely, they're they religious definitely, in their own right. They're, uh, yes, super, they they're are. like, uh, we are peaceful, technocratic. We're peaceful, but we, but we love, we worship humanity and humanity needs to spread. And I'm just like, why? Yeah. Why? What's well, she described, of- um, uh, she described, um, a good atheist as, uh, technocratic, which is a weird yeah. word with not all positive connotations. <laughs> um, if you're listening and you hadn't watched uh, Raised by Wolves, we're talking about this character, um, Lamia, or Mother, who is like a android. Uh, and she's very scary. And in, uh, without going too much into... Well, I guess we are going to have to talk spoilers. Um, so just spoiler alert um, for basically every property we talk about today, because I'm not really the kind of person to like be good at holding back spoilers when I'm talking about comics or movies. So there's your spoiler alert. But um, yeah, so in Raised by Wolves, um, these two androids are sent to this planet, uh, Kepler-422b. And uh, they go there. And this planet has some history to it. There's some sort of, I don't know if they're, you'd call them dinosaurs or dragons or serpents that have dug these big holes and have since maybe gone extinct, it looks like. Um, and these two androids, um, they birth into the world, uh, human children, which they watch over and, uh, try to raise, um, with some, it doesn't always go perfect. Okay. A lot of them (laughs) don't make it, but, uh, then, yeah, they come into contact with these Mithraic people who are like religious space people. Mm -hmm. They worship Um, soul is their God. It's a sun God. Basically like God. Yeah. Sun God, basically. Yeah, and they're, they got a lot of that uh, crusader um, imagery, like they're, mm-hmm. yeah, like the Knights Templar or something. And yeah, um, yeah so, so they're very religious. And uh, yeah, like we were saying, the atheists in the show are very atheistic. Um, so I think Ridley Scott, uh, religion is a theme for him, which is not common with commercial filmmaking and science fiction, like to the degree that you see it with him. Um, no, I think some people not. were off put by it in Prometheus. Um, 
you know, there, a lot of people really liked Prometheus, but a lot of people, um, when that came out, uh, criticized it as well. And uh, Elizabeth Shaw, she wears a crucifix around her neck in that movie. And there's these themes of like creation. Um, so some of the same themes come up in Raised by Wolves as in, as in, uh, yeah, as in Prometheus or, or some other Ridley Scott movies. I think he even made one about Moses with Christian Bale, the Moses gods and kings. Oh, I swear I've heard of that, yeah. but I never watched it. Yeah. Huh. What was that? Was it actually a Moses story? Yeah, it's a Moses movie straight up. So Ridley ah. Scott, this is part of his DNA at this point. I mean, yeah. androids, all this weird, um, almost like ancient aliens, human alien hybrid type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just stay on the track with this um, show, um, which by the way, watch it. You know, it's on HBO now. And it's, it's a really good out. show. Yeah. yeah. Um, but okay. So just to follow the, the plot thread a little bit. Um, yeah. So it's kind of like the dawn of a civilization on this planet, almost like a garden of Eden type story, but mm -hmm. they're confronting the animals and looking for food and things like that. And it's really difficult. Um, yeah, no, it's, I mean, the planet itself has a really harsh environment that you can't really live on. Uh, I mean, this is kind of just going over first episode stuff. You don't even realize that there are any animals there for mm -hmm. a long time. Mm -hmm. um, they don't realize it. And it, just the environment of the planet kills people. So it's not easy to live there. And um, yeah, when you, the show starts off, you just have two androids, mm -hmm. six little kids that they basically birth in little test tubes. Um, you lose almost all of them. Except for Campion. And he's, Campion. he's, he might have some sort of prophetic role. He's going to lead the people exactly. to the, to the, um, what do they call it? The tropical zone one day. Like this is his destiny to be the promised land. Yeah. Yeah. It's a same back to the sort of Judeo, um, Christian sort of thing. And, but, uh, um, it makes me think of, um, oh, what, who are they that are in Salt Lake? The Mormons? Yes. Well, there's a, I think the Mithraic a little bit remind me of the Mormons a little bit, but um, I think, I don't know. I, I think it's in the expanse um, that the Mormons are the ones who they go furthest into outer space. And in fact, they, and this is popped up over and over again in sci-fi in um, uh -huh. Starship, Starship Troopers. I think there's a planet where they find the bugs had um, kill everyone was a planet where the Mormons had went and settled. It's just because they're a people oh, who settled. Well, in America, they settled the West and uh, earlier than yeah. most people. So there's a similar, there's a similar story be between them and um, the Jewish people because of the uh, promised land stories from Egypt to, uh, to um, the, you know, the promised land uh, is, I believe that's Israel. Right. So, right. Yeah. So, um, it's a repeating, yeah. repeating theme in lots of yeah. religions. Yeah. Someone's um, re leading everyone to the promised land. In the show, they say an orphan will do it. And so obviously, if you're watching the show, there's Campion, mm -hmm. who, mm -hmm. I mean, you can call him an orphan. He has mother and father, the androids. Yeah, he, he doesn't have a traditional, um, a traditional uh, parenting situation. No, not at all. 
Um, but you're talking about Paul, the other kid that. Yeah, Paul, the other kid who yeah. he's basically. So on the Mithraic side, there's for anybody, this is more spoilers, obviously. There's this kid named Paul, and on planet, I guess they're starting on planet Earth, I'm assuming, right? Um, they're leaving the planet. About, oh, yeah, well, they leave Earth and they then they're in space on the Ark and they go yeah. into sleep for 13 years. And yeah. so he, um, he's been in a sort of simulation state for that period of time. So yeah. he comes out the other end, um, smarter, like he's 13 years older than he was when he left, but, mm. um, but he's still, still just a kid, basically. Yeah. Body, yeah. Uh, Which means he was probably living with 13 year old hormones the whole time. So for well, they're just, I, I have no idea what their simulation, but yeah. But, right. But, um, but yeah, he comes out the other end uh, with some, he gets a, he thinks Saul is talking to him and he comes to the conclusion mm -hmm. that he needs to like build a city um, right. in this uh, cold zone, not in the tropical zone and that they can't yeah. go into the tropical zone because it's dangerous. Yeah. Well, even in the beginning, like when he first went into simulation, that was one of the first things he was doing when his parent, well, not his parents. That's the, that was the thing I was leading into about the orphans is he's technically an orphan because his parents were killed by atheists who then changed their face in order to look like his parents and then right. took his parents place on the ark which is some very trippy writing it's a good right it's, that's the it's thing cool. about the show is they've really thought it through um what was i going to say about it um rather than like you know just dissecting the whole plot of the whole show i feel yeah. like um one thing we could talk about and it's sort of an extension of what we talked about we were just last time we podcasted we were talking about um sort of the future of space expansion. Oh, yeah. We're talking about Mars. And, um, you know, Kepler of 422B in the real world, from what I heard um, just from the promotional material um, for Raised by Wolves, is actually a real exoplanet. Um, and I don't know, I can't remember what the sun is around or any of that stuff. But, um, mm -hmm. but there's this notion of... Um, you know, humans really traveling to faraway exoplanets in the future or just discovering exoplanets using like, I don't know, I don't want to bro science you too much, but the, um, <laughs> the, uh, what is it? The red spectrum color shift stuff that I don't know. That's what these, some of these really complicated satellite imaging systems do. They like, and they look I, into the infrared to see everything that's kind of red shifted. So yeah. And I, I think they might actually have different, methods for um potential exoplanets that would be different distances away so if mm -hmm. they're potentially this many light years away they would have one method and if they're even further they'd have a different and mm -hmm. yeah it all has to do with that what's the word spectroscopy i don't know i can't even yeah pronounce this. So, <laughs> but uh yeah and so it does it is one of the weird things and maybe this is the question i would i want to toss at you and see what you think is uh, you know, in the show, they get to the exoplanet, and because it's an Earth-like planet in a Goldilocks zone, there's life. And mm -hmm. we've been talking a lot. I, obviously, aliens keeps coming up already on this podcast. Yeah. Like, do they exist and stuff? Well, if they did exist, especially if they were anything more than just like a bacteria type thing, mm -hmm. uh, they would exist on a uh, an exoplanet with an Earth-like, well, you know, most likely with an earth most likely because that's the only type of life we know so we're like well this is the only this is the only formula we have there could potentially be life on 
non-Earth-like planets. We just don't know oh. what that life would look like. And we're hearing we about it. Venus, um, that mm -hmm. these, what is it, these, I think they call them phosphenes. They think there might be a byproduct of a, I don't know, all the headlines were saying like, life yeah, on Venus, it's, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's apparently phosphine is really difficult to make chemically, mm -hmm. um, but organic life on Earth makes it sometimes. Not mm -hmm. that we make it very often. Apparently, there's more phosphine on Venus than mm -hmm. uh, there's more phosphine present in the air on Venus, as far as like a percentage-wise, than mm -hmm. we even have here. And it's just very strange because most most uh, chemists don't even know how to make it very easily. So that's okay. part of the reason. That's part of the reason why they're like there's no real good explanation for how this would be made. Mm -hmm. And so, because biology can make a lot of weird things. Um, that we aren't, we don't completely understand all the time. They're just right. saying, well, that could be something made by life. And they're probably talking bacterial life in like right, floating right. around in the air of Venus. Okay. But beyond bacterial style yeah. life, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you wanted to find the, you know, the, the humanoids that are going to, you know, say live long <laughs> and prosper, you'd have to uh -huh. go to an alien exoplanet and, mm -hmm. um, something like this imagined version of um, Kepler 422b. And, um, but it does seem like even if you, you know, came across a planet like that, like in reality, you could find out that it was just totally barren, but water seems to be the key that we're looking for, right? Yeah. I mean, so, for the most part, that was the one thing, that's the one thing about the show is they don't really show any water. Like there's no running water. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's that stuff that looks like snow, but it also just looks like ash falling from the sky constantly. I mm -hmm. think it's supposed to be snow in the in the show. Um, yeah, they must, which would just... be like a water source, but that would create rivers if they had snow falling from the sky. Well, they show. I'm not sure. Um, I think they I don't show remember seeing running mother, water. Ever. I think they show the androids serving tea, so they yeah. have liquid. Um, they have some liquid, which you could just say they brought with them, and then they're recycling everything. Mm, I think they're getting into snow, like you you were just saying, but um, yeah, because they have that, that white stuff falling from the sky that they show throughout the whole season. But that's but that's the sort of thing, though. Like if you were looking for a planet, you'd have to find water. I mean, that's yeah. like the main thing. That's yeah, that's our main thing. I mean, we're we're seventy percent water, so you, we could not survive on a planet without it. Right, and that's what we're looking for on Mars. I mean, that would be like the jackpot if you could find. Mm -hmm a large source of reliable water on Mars. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I, uh, okay, so I don't know what we should talk about. I mean, I could keep <laughs> talking about this damn TV show. Um, we could, we could talk about, we could talk about aliens a bit more on the exoplanets or our yeah, or colonizing we, of the entire galaxy. I know, I mean, I, I like to game out that stuff. Um, I th sometimes, I've been thinking about it a little bit more because of, um, you know, we've just been watching a lot of the news lately and there's a lot of stuff going mm -hmm. on between the United States and China. And so mm -hmm. when I watch that stuff, I, some, I think not only about the US space program and like the f what the future of that could look like, but I also think about the Chinese space program. Mm -hmm. And I mean, obviously, um, you know, and the Russians are and India and there's other countries that are probably players in that too. But um, it just seems like uh, just from what I understand, um, especially, I mean, 
we've got our companies, we've got, you know, SpaceX and, and Boeing and stuff, but we've also got uh, the Space Force now, not just NASA, we've got the Space Force. Yeah. And we've got this like, um, and we've got Trump in the White House, that might change soon, we're not really sure. But, um, <laughs> but uh, this might, you know, come to a situation um, in the future where, you know, the US and China aren't not necessarily having maybe they're having some sort of like um, satellite fight in space and they're having to like, you know, it's crazy to think about that stuff. I mean, yeah. Did you see the Netflix, uh, Netflix's space force TV show? Yeah, I did. I did. It it was funny. It's funny, but the, the thing that happened on the show with um, China, I think just, destroying yeah. one of their satellites up right. there. I, I remember watching it with Cherish and I was just watching it and like being thinking to myself, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna fucking happen. Like right <laughs> now, we, right now we have treaties with other countries saying that space yeah. is like a open frontier. There's no nobody makes any claim to the moon, nobody makes any claims to Mars, anything like that. Mm. But yeah, right, once though, we I mean, once like now that we've put curiosity on Mars and we put other rovers on uh-huh. Mars and we're doing research there, if another country came in and landed nearby us, we would probably throw a hissy fit around here. We would probably start saying, no, we're doing research here, you guys gotta move. And then it starts getting into the idea of, well, you've claimed this land then, and we have to people yeah. are start getting into politics of that type of stuff. It's like a it's maritime gonna... um, law mm-hmm. type situation, low, oh, low yeah, government entirely. space. Outer space is a low government space. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like an ocean and um, we're frontiersmen you know, uh, into the ocean and, uh, the moon and is like an Island and, or, you know, a new potential. So there is almost Mm -hmm. like a a colonization, uh, parallel there. And Mars Mm -hmm. is like, uh, yeah, it's like a, a new, a new land, a new country. Yeah. Yeah. It's like discovering North America. And, um, you could really see how all of this, yeah, man, there's going to, I don't know. It's, it's that's this is science fiction. I mean, it's obviously yeah. it is science fact, or it's going to be historical fact moving forward. Obviously, but uh, it, I mean, unless we just don't go in outer space, but it looks like we're going to. Um, I don't know. So I that, mean, this this kind of perfectly leads into what else we want. We were going to talk about, which is saga. So. Yeah, we should talk about Saga. So, yeah, because I've been getting into Brian K. Vaughn. Uh, you introduced uh-huh. me to Saga, and I read those four trade paperbacks. I didn't finish the series. Oh, yeah. Um, I I wanted to pick up, before my car broke down, I wanted to pick up the fifth one. And uh-huh. then I was reading also Why the Last Man, which is Brian K. Vaughn. So yeah. I'm starting to realize this guy's maybe comparing these two and seeing, hey, this guy's got a bit of a style, and he's a really yeah. good writer. Um. Yeah, and then other than that, I've just been reading the boys' comics, so which are great. <laughs> yeah. We should talk about that stuff too. But um, yeah. yeah, but let's start with Saga. So, yeah, this is like deep space science fiction, but it's got mm-hmm. these like themes that are like really close to home about relationships and yeah, and love and uh, almost like Shakespearean drama. Oh, there, exactly. I mean, it is. Uh, I mean, related to what we were just talking about. I mean, the whole. St- premise of saga starts off with there's a moon and a planet the largest planet in the galaxy and its moon have been warring and it's a magic moon with Mm -hmm. horn people 
I don't know what yes. you would call them. And then you've got, and know. it's like fantasy. Yeah, it's like a fantasy mm -hmm. genre. And they're up against a technological planet. Um, yeah, and most of the people have wings. Yeah, with winged people. On that, yeah, yeah. So and, you can kind of tell who's who, like horned people with magic versus technological winged people. Right. And then it's got this artist, uh, Fiona Staples, doing the art. And mm -hmm. she just does this incredible job. I mean, yeah. Just the I mean, fact that. Yeah, yeah, that is two that's people. what brings me into it. Yeah, the whole idea that it's two people making this comic is what blows me away. When you showed me it, it's like the most independent, well, only at Image Comics, I mean, right? I mean, but it's yeah. just so, um, obviously, it's so top of the line. And But anytime I open up another comic, they've got, here's the person doing the lettering, and here's the person doing the inking and the pencils. And it's always like 12 people to make a comic. <laughs> mm -hmm. And this one's just like these two people. And... Um, it's, I don't know. I, they must work very hard, um, but yeah. they do a good job. So it's cool. They do a great job with it. Um, I think the sh I think the series is over. They say that it's on hiatus, but I they'll come back. They got the second half to do. I, I don't mean, know. I haven't read. I haven't even finished the first. Like I said, I only read yeah. four, four of the trade paperbacks. Mm -hmm. But um, I did hear a spoiler and. Maybe I don't want to spoil this one. I know I was just saying I spoil everything, but I'm not going to spoil <laughs> what I heard. First of all, I haven't even, I got to get to that part myself, but um, it sounds like the second half is going to deal with the, the main, what's the main uh, female character's name? Uh, Elena. Elena. It's going to deal with her several years later and maybe her baby is going to be much older. I don't know. That's my guess. Yeah. So Hazel, the ba the girl, yeah. um, cause well, I guess we won't get into spoilers on the end of it, but um, I don't really care. Yeah. But I just yeah. There's a couple. So, there's some things that are so seem like such big spoilers in this comic that, and this is a comic where, and I've noticed this from the fandom in general. It seems like everybody who reads this comic is like, "This is the greatest comic." Almost like it's like <laughs> biblical. When Valor told yeah. me about it, I was actually kind of stoned. So. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember you, you showed it to me with, I mean, the amount of rever reverence you were talking about it. Yes. You were like, uh, you were like some sort of, um, uh, like you were evangelizing this, this book. Yeah. So I, I'm just like, here is, here's the text of the greatest comic I've ever read, read TJ. Please yeah. take this, take this, read it, enjoy it. And I did really it. like it. I did really like it, but I did, I did realize it is just a comic. It's a great, a great comic, yeah. but, yeah, but I think uh, it's a good comic. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, reading Why the Last Man, I think that um, I'd really recommend that one too. Um, and can, uh, you, can you tell me what why, why the Last Man is? Because I haven't read it. I haven't looked. Okay, too much so into it. Yeah, it's you a little bit. It. It yeah, it's, cool. it's um, post-apocalyptic. It's a little mm -hmm. bit like uh, The Walking Dead or something, but there's half of the population is still around because all the men died and the women didn't die. It's a virus, but all the men died. Oh, okay. Except for the main character. Literally the yeah, last man. He's the last man. His name's Yorick and he's like a dorky magician guy. And he's not the kind of guy you would picture at all to be the, or to be the last man. Um, By magician, you mean he actually has magic? No, I mean, oh, okay. he's, a, he's a street <laughs> magician and he has a monkey. And uh, that's yeah. even better. <laughs> yeah. And so it's about him and a secret agent named 355 
and um, a scientist and just a few other, uh, and he's trying to get back to his girlfriend and she's in Australia, um, but communications have been down. Um, there's weird groups like gangs. There's this group of like mm -hmm. these women that call themselves the Amazons and they cut off one of their boobs and then they like, they're like- Isn't that what the Amazons apparently did? Yeah, I think it comes from that. That's the thing. He, mm -hmm. he does a lot of, um, pop culture references in the comic too. Um, like, mm -hmm. like I said, York is like this really nerdy character. So he'll like, he, he'll connect with different women in the comic over like movies and, and stuff. Um, okay. So it starts, do you know, like when the disease hit, is it like, is uh, it, it well, the comic is, or? no, no, the comic was, it's like written, it must've been written in like 2000, early 2000s and probably, oh, okay. probably over the course of a number of years. So I'm guessing like, 2003 to 2006 or 2008 or something like that but oh. um yeah so it's a i don't know maybe it's a little bit dated but i think it it, it reads like it's the art's really good it just kind of you actually mm -hmm. would didn't even think about it much um i guess there's more like the phones are a little different and stuff um but yeah, yeah he, I mean, he yeah that's all i mean you lose half the population the world's going to change no matter what well, and it, it does, but he really gamed out the ways it changed in almost like some of them are a little bit stylized like the walking dead or something, but a lot of them are really well thought out. Like, um, mm -hmm. the way the line of succession for the presidency worked and the way that there's uh, the politics changed with, um, cause a lot yeah. of the men that were, um, in government, like in the Senate, they died Yeah, yeah. and, um, their wives want their seats. And that's oh. like a lot of the Republicans. And mm -hmm. so they're, they show up and they, you know, and they're like, we demand this. And then the president, cause she's a Democrat. She's like, uh, well, and she, it, vote. well, she's also, she, well, she's saying they have to have a vote that, yeah. She, she, and mm -hmm. there's just a lot of craziness there. And then um, there's a lot of stuff about, um, oh, I'm trying to think that just a lot of it's just, oh yeah. All the pilots, they, they crash. Cause it turns out the, the statistics on like pilots is like they're like 95% men. Yeah. And so the some of the co so a lot of the planes crashed on the day when when So it happened to everybody all at the same time. It all happened all around the world at the exact same moment. Did, did they disappear or did they all just No, everybody just starts bleeding from the face and eyes and oh, falls Jesus. over dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucked up and it's but it it turns into a really interesting story. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And I just like post-apocalyptic stuff in general and we see so much yeah. zombie movies. So it was kind of cool to see. I mean, after how many seasons of the walking dead we got, it, it gets kind of like, Jesus, we're, cool. we're past 10 seasons, right? Yeah. I, I mean, like zombies. The comic, but... the comic book is done. Comic book for the walking dead is over already. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if you've read the end of the walking dead. No, walking I haven't dead, read the end. I, I read the, the beginning I've read but that's a ways back. But yeah, I, I read yeah. like quite a few issues and then I realized, Oh my God, there's a lot of issues to this. Yeah. 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 I don't know if you, they have four of those like really thick compendiums. And right. Right. It. Right. So. The one I'm in, a, I'm going to invest in, and this is the thing about comics is uh, it could be, it seems like it could be an expensive, if you want to be a completionist, it can be a very expensive uh, hobby. I had spent $30 on the omnibus for the boys and I'm going to, pick up the second one. I was going to pick that up. I was going to pick up why the last man I was going to pick up saga. And that's no. like, 
you know, you add all that together and it's a little Dude. bit of a, yeah. So I, I just have this sitting next to me just in case, but I have all nine of the saga books next to me. Oh, there's nine. I thought there was only eight. There's nine. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, they came out with nine and that goes into one giant of those thick compendiums and that's all of it right now for saga but yeah oh, wow. no, when i when i bought those i was specifically going to barnes and noble looking for like a buy th buy two get one free deal just to try to save mm. on costs and stuff like that yeah no collecting being a completionist with comics is difficult for the walking yeah. dead uh brian and i mm -hmm. each get um one of the compendiums mm. so there's only four compendiums so he has two of them and i have the other two Mm. Okay, so well, that's smart. Yeah, you need a comic daddy. book buddy. Exactly. Um, that's a, right. It's a it's an easy way to save on expenses, and then you just have a reason to contact them and say, "Hey." Well, I got to recommend you pick up the the comics for the boys because it's it's I really I, yeah. like it. It's, it's I would call it. Um, I mean, comics seem this way in general, but it's edgy. I don't know how else to put it. It's, of course. Obviously, the show is like that. The show's raunchy. The show's. Yeah. But, I feel like um, the show would definitely be, I, from what I've heard, because I haven't read the comic, I've just watched the first season, the show picks up a little bit of that edginess you get from the comics, but the comics get more so. way more, well, yeah. Yeah, it's like this guy, um, oh, uh, uh, Garth Ennis is the writer, and he, mm -hmm. um, oh, I think he did Preacher as well. I, I don't know, I'll have to dig into that, but he, um, I think you're right. I'm I guessing he's that. Irish. He he seems like he's a uh, a kind of a fearless writer, you know. And but uh -huh. he's it's a lot of very clandestine type vibe. The boys, the way they work with like you know, like uh, the CIA, I think. And there's this, but and superheroes are all super corporate. There's this real vibe <laughs> that they're you know going around blackmailing these superheroes who are just total hedonists and and um psychos mm -hmm. so but yeah it makes for a, a a really crazy comic um yeah and all of the characters it's been fun i i really recommend people just to, because the show is blown up and becoming so popular that people mm -hmm. take a look at the comic because for me what's been really fun is sort of um comparing and contrasting the comic book versions to the um to the television show versions Mm -hmm. But also the comic book versions and television show versions to the characters that they parody. So it's kind of complicated, but like, like there's a, there's a whole team called the G men in the comics that uh -huh. are just, they're like the X-Men, but they parody oh. each one. So five O is like Cyclops. And I think there's one called <laughs> silver Kincaid. That's like Jean gray. And there's like a uh -huh. Nubia that's like storm. But the situations, like the storm one gets basically like lobotomy, not a, not an actual, or maybe Vought, they kind of. Like some psychic. No, well, it might've been, yeah, it might've been another uh, soup who had um, sort of used their power still at bottom, but she had been talking too much about corruption and terrible things that oh, had been going oh. on in their um, super group. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of stuff like that with the um, various super groups where you find they're totally corrupt and, um, but also just the characters are really goofy. Like there's also a Wolverine one, but he's got hammer. He's, I think he's called hammer hands. So he's just got, um, his hammers pop out of his fists. His, uh, there, his hands are just literally hammers. 
So, and the, oh, so, <laughs> and the, and the television show got uh, a spinoff. So it's, which is a, a Vought university type thing. Just got it. Cause the viewership's so high. Wait, a- Amazon prime has created a spinoff of they're doing a spinoff. It's not oh. out, but they got greenlit for one. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Why not? I mean, Amazon now owns prop has the rights to this property. Why yeah. not expand on it? Like well, every, everybody does it if it catches it, on. Season two took off like a rocket. Mm-hmm. And so they're just, you know, they're realizing, oh, we might have something here that can, you know, it's a phenomena. You know, you mm-hmm. got to watch season two. Dude, is all of season two out? Because that's the yeah. one, one of the few streaming services Cherish and I don't have right now. Like most yeah. of them, like I think when we switched to Verizon, we got Hulu and Disney Plus for free. Man, I Netflix watched Race by Wolves and I was blown away by Race by Wolves, but The Boys yeah. season two is like my favorite season of television I've seen in a while. Really? Okay. So I'll watch it. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Know, we've been waiting. I've been waiting for it to all come out so I can just get Amazon Prime, binge watch the whole thing for like a month. Well, that's the way to do it. It's kind of short. I mean, it's only eight episodes, mm-hmm. and I think they're going to release a, a movie that's like an origin story about Billy Butcher. Oh, um, shit. That'd be cool. Yeah, and the show version of him is a little different than in the book too. But um, how, so how so? Like, is he? He seems like a murderous guy with a chip on his shoulder type of situation well, in the show. The chip on his shoulder is probably even gnarlier in the comic. He's Huey. Uh-huh. Huey is much more sympathetic to superheroes if they're if they are good. Whereas yeah. Billy Butcher just sees he's like basically prejudiced against superheroes. And okay. hate superheroes, and um, yeah. that comes off in the show. But honestly, I think he's an even bigger piece of of um, I, I call him piece of crap. But that's me. <laughs> piece but, of human garbage. <laughs> well, he's just a he's just a he's just a total on a rampage in the in the comics. Mm-hmm. But he also uh-huh. just his character design. He doesn't have a beard in the comic. He looks kind of huge, like kind of like sometimes how Batman, like Bruce Wayne, could be like a real big guy. Uh-huh. Um, he's got kind of like a Tom Cruise haircut kind of vibe, but he's really buff. I don't, um, hmm. uh, as far as Carl Urban playing him in the show, he's awesome, but he's just a little different from how he mm-hmm. looks. Um, but the, 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 the way he speaks is the same, like, um, you know, um, the personality yeah, is yeah. very similar. Yeah. Carl Urban's a really good actor though. So I'm sure. yeah, he's the best dude. That guy rules. Um, ever since I saw Judge Dredd, I realized this guy. I, well, and obviously he's in Lord of the Rings. Uh-huh. Um, but back Wait. then, I he played. Um, Who is he in Lord of the Rings? He plays uh, Aomir, I think. Yeah, he plays Aomir, the the Rohirrim. Remember oh. when I would chop off your head, dwarf, if it stood but a little higher from the ground? <laughs> yes. That's that's yeah, that's him. Yeah. yeah. Um, and by the way, if I ever got to make a movie of the crystalline mythos of like Lucid and Machina or something, and it was, uh-huh. I'd want to cast him to be Dr. Webweaver. He would be my number <laughs> one. Well, cause I used to think uh, Kurt Russell, um, but Kurt Russell is really, he's getting real, very old. And I think of Carl Urban sometimes as a new Kurt Russell, like he could play, uh, uh-huh. I, I think the character in the thing, if they ever remade it, I think he'd make a good, What's the, I think his character's name Mick McMurphy or something, but he could yeah. probably play that character pretty well. I think he can do a lot of those. Like if they did Escape from New York over again, he could be a good. 
I mean, mm-hmm. just the fact that he could do Judge Dredd uh, yeah. shows that he kind of fits into that genre um, pretty good. I think he, he could do cyberpunk type stuff. Um, yeah. So how do you see Web? Do you see Web Weaver as like a, I mean, we're getting into the crystalline mythos now, but. Uh, well, what, what time are we at? I guess I don't really care. Um, yeah, we'll talk. Yeah. Let's talk about Dr. Web Weaver a little bit. So if you're just listening, you're like, what the hell are they talking about? Um, in the Crystalline Mythos stories, one of the main characters is this bearded engineer guy named Dr. Webweaver, mm-hmm. right? And so he yeah. worked. So at Otaro Labs, I mean, you can go back and listen to the, some of the episodes we had we had done where we talked about this stuff in more in depth. But he's a dream director for the Otaro Corporation who runs a dream machine that's used mm-hmm. for advertising in people's minds while they sleep. Um, but he also works on robots and he works on propulsion crafts and he does like mechanic work and he's a scientist and yeah. So what's your question? Oh, yeah, no, I, I was just asked because you, you see Carl Urban is playing him. And I, think I just Carl think he Urban, would be awesome. Carl Urban's a great actor and I could see him playing a lot of different roles. I guess I, I see Web Weaver when I, when I picture him as a Gandalf-like character. Nah, he's too strong. First okay. of all, he's physically strong. He's a little bit. Okay. He's got a little bit of that, but he's. Um, he, I, I guess how he is kind of just this wise guy who kind of sees ahead of everything. And I don't stare. I know there's been a few scenes where you talked about how he's actually strong. Um, he's physically I, strong. He's cynical. And I've never seen Gandalf yes. be cynical. Gandalf is. You're right. Gandalf is just a kind, gentle soul. And this guy's. Mm-hmm. This guy is, um, I'm trying to think what he might have in common. I think he cares about um, his crew. I mean, especially by the end of the book. Uh, I mean, he he probably, you know, seeing, seeing Dr. Wren and him have disagreements, he probably, you know, feels like she's going down the wrong road sometimes and probably, mm-hmm. it's not that he's not a um, decent character. Like he's, like he cares in a in a way, but I think he focuses a lot on his work. I think he's a um, buries his head in the sand a little bit, even to the. He definitely does. I mean, there's you have him written to where he's doing stuff he doesn't fully agree, agree with. with. Yeah, but he does it because he's just I know I can do this other stuff on the side, and this stuff is still semi stimulating to me, so I'm still going to do it. It gets me access to the things I really want to do. And that's yeah. something that I can fully understand personally, but I tend to, I definitely know there's a lot of people who would do that and I can see what yeah. being that type of person. Yeah. He's a, I mean, he's a great character. I think he's mm-hmm. a good character. He's a good character, but yeah, you know, he's not, he's not like a, I mean, well, Gandalf is funny because Gandalf is, uh, goes from Gandalf the Gray to Gandalf the White, but by the time he's Gandalf the White, he literally is just a savior character. Yes. Uh, um, yeah, I wasn't thinking Gandalf the White. <laughs> I know, was Gandalf the Gray is, is uh, I don't, you know, he's just a, a normal wizard and he has kind of a, um, or one of the Istari. I could get into Tolkien um, or <laughs> quite a bit actually if I want to. Um, but uh, yeah, Gandalf is, um, I don't know. I'm just picturing him smoking his pipe and 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 not being quite as angelic. But I, I see once again. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, this is something that I think just when you got got a character who has a big gray beard, people think Gandalf. 
Yeah, right. You know, and, and that helped. That definitely helped contribute to that thought. Right, and well, when I when I was first making up Webweaver a long, long time ago, I was sort of thinking of a wizard, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But then I started thinking of a um, an engineer type character and again the pair of goggles and the world was sort of I was sort of solidifying okay it's mostly a science fiction story yeah yeah so and I'm trying to think of I mean who else I mean I think he's got a little bit of a Batman thing going on um like the would you say Batman or Iron Man a little bit of Iron Man yeah a little bit of maybe that's even better maybe Iron Man's even better because Batman definitely has this like sense of like this is where this is like I'm trying to write things, and Iron Man's kind of an opportunist a little bit. Yeah, I guess I was thinking more of just the idea of like the Batcave and like yeah. The, um, but I, you know, he's not a superhero, obviously. But I'm just saying like um, <laughs> I mean, having sidekicks and and um, mm-hmm. you know when you see uh, whenever you go into the Batcave and you see Bruce Wayne with he's still wearing he's got the cowl like off, but he's still got the outfit on and he's sitting at the yeah. computer. And like he's talking with, I think there's something like that. Like there's something similar to the Artara Labs crew to the Bat family a little bit. Um, yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. There Maybe. totally I, is. Um, and I was trying to think of where else. I mean, there's definitely some a few influences. Um, uh-huh. maybe a so, bit of morpheus or something i don't know yeah okay so this is so just keeping with this idea so the, the thinking that uh comparing them to the bat family what would you think would you i guess you would we would think of uh, Ren, dr wren as maybe jason todd yeah yeah you got For it sure, yeah. right right that, yeah yeah and, um that that would i mean we would i guess we would kind of say penelope would be she could be Batgirl or Nightwing, like one of those. Uh, yeah, Nightwing, because she kind of she kind of goes off on her own because you have, right, her just kind of leaving by the end of the first book. Right, right, but she, but uh, yeah, maybe she's the most like Nightwing because because yeah. uh, she but she in another way she's the most loyal, which is kind of like Nightwing as well. Yes. So, yes. but um, you know the Artar Labs crew is really not that huge. I mean, there's Enoch, Clement, there's One K. And uh, neither of those characters. One K. One K doesn't live that long. I mean, no. Spoiler alert. He, <laughs> he, even though he's like the most iconic character there is in the whole novel, in a way, because mm. it's just that's what an Artaro robot looks like. Is like exactly. Is one? It looks like one K. You know, they've got this oscillating smile, and they they're this gray domed st- structure, and they but but yeah, one K gets uh, just gets shot in the head right and mm-hmm. um by was it by leona lovelace or by ren i i have to actually uh, i think it was lovelace because i don't think <laughs> ren was using any weapons during the yeah that's right scene. she's 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 using her uh telepathic abilities her mm-hmm. shadow or it's called uh, the uh shadow. phantom phantom uh visions they're called okay they're yeah shadow there she it it just i think visually would look like psychic abilities but maybe like yeah have you ever seen uh i mean you've seen what they do a lot with the character um raven from teen titans with like the black magic kind of stuff that comes uh, out not so much i'm, I'm thinking okay. scarecrow a little bit scarecrows are very halloween though not quite to that level so maybe mm-hmm. what you're talking about is a little closer yeah i'm, I'm thinking because she has basically raven whenever she uses her magic it's always 
black with like a purple outline. Yeah, and yeah, I I've seen that. Yeah, so I, 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 when I pictured the fight scene, that's what I picture her doing. Penelope has some telekinetic abilities, right? Right, and her eyes will turn like almost like a blaring white or pink mm-hmm. color. Right. And uh, that her main thing is, now I don't know if telepathy could, see, yeah, she's a telekinetic, basically. Yeah. She's like, she's like, goes carry. If she went nuts, <laughs> but she doesn't go nuts. She's and she's. I don't think she's a that powerful. Uh, she's pretty powerful. Obviously, she's, mm-hmm. obviously she's a great um, dream operator. But as a telekinetic, right. I think she's naturally gifted at dream operating. And that, yeah, as a from what you've told me from our last talk, level, is, yeah, like because I picture um, Sunny Glitchfield, who's late, who I'm, is in Nightmare and Machina more, but mm-hmm. she's Penelope's daughter to be with um grim she's okay. she's an insane uh telekinetic like not insane like mentally insane but i mean like her ability is way off or just the charts okay yeah yeah as far as but that's by once again these psychic abilities by the artaro corporation um and for anybody who wants to understand how this works and in, in this sort of world um these are viewed as side effects they're not like psychic stuff mm-hmm. like the iconoclast view them as like the point, but yeah. the Artaro Corporation sees all this crap as a total side effect. They don't, they aren't looking for telekinesis or anything like that. No, I'm, they, I mean they're looking they're looking to market to the masses because right. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you have one telekinetic person, but if you can get if you can get the entire if you can control your entire population of millions of people, you're probably right. a little more powerful. And these are these side effects or because of the viscous serums that they use um, that allow them to run these dream machines to create these advertisements. Which I'm sure, which is part of the reason why not everybody just tries to do it to get powers. It kills people too. Right, right. right. And I imagine at Artaro University, there would be like students, university students who had tried out for the dream operations program who (laughs) had probably, I don't know, their heads exploded or something. Right. they have, I mean, they realized they probably signed some release waiver and just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's funny to think about. There's really so many. Their abilities. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like that. It's like that short story. Uh, what was this recent short story that I read of yours with the two interns that we, uh, uh, Hypnotica. Hypnotica. Yes. Yeah. Like those guys, they came on. One of them's dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, also, if, if you're listening and, and you're curious about the story Hypnotica, that's on, on the Patreon. It's not a bad spot to jump in. It's just like a fun story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a prequel. Or it's a, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a prequel. Prior to the main story. Yeah, it comes after the story Sublimina, but it's mm-hmm. seven years before the main novel. And it's honestly just as good a spot to jump into the story as any. Uh, mm-hmm. It's about Dr. Thea Wren. Um, she goes on an expedition to the with Dr. Webweaver and Janice um, and the Artaro Labs crew minus Penelope because she hasn't joined yet. And they go to uh, the crystalline forest because they need new viscous mushrooms Mm -hmm. for new serums because the old serums have been infected with parasitic spiders that Mm -hmm. are microscopic. So it's very weird and kind of um, horror genre in that respect. Um, but they encounter the Agilarians when they're there and they ride a boat down river. And so it's Mm -hmm. sort of a lot of the stories about their journey down the river Sublimina 
to yeah. a lake called Lake Hypnotica. Mm-hmm. And um, they're looking for a new batch of these um, mushrooms, right? Mm-hmm. That aren't um, infected. And they also have to destroy or oversee, because Agilarians want to destroy them too. They have to destroy the, the places where contaminated um contaminated mushrooms with these parasites are sprouting up and they're sprouting up weirdly enough they're sprouting up in like you were asking me i remember when you read it you're going well why are these things sprouting up in different like tanks and different yeah and, like separate locations that are supposedly supposed like closed off to one another right because if you're thinking science fiction you generally think like spores and things like that sp- mm-hmm. spread via the air or something like that, or maybe it'd be like kind of like the pandemic where there's a transmission of, of some kind or something like that, but it's really not working that way. It's just, they're popping up all over the place. Right. And it's because they're spontaneously popping in basically to this dimension from another dimension. Oh. From the Nebuzalorian dimension. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Oh that's, shit. Okay. It's like, that's, it's like, it's like, an, it's like a gateway. It's like a quantum effect. I mean, I know people just use the word quantum like for everything, but like, (laughs) but you know, this idea that like uh, particles could pop in and out of existence or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's a little bit more. Given enough energy, something can kind of move between. Yeah. Move between dimensions. That's what, and it Mm -hmm. has something to do. I mean, it has obviously something to do with the fact that the, that dimension is opened in, in the um, universe of the crystalline mythos. Right, um, which but, is what they used to broadcast to our dreams. Yeah, but the main portal, though, um, and I know I'm just spoiling my own, but I don't care about this. I, I'm not. I'm not going to be like I've noticed George R. R. Martin. Whenever he talks about Game of Thrones, he's so good at like hiding the the story where it's going and doing uh-huh. his little magic tricks to kind of keep everybody guessing. I'm just completely incapable of that. Like, um. <laughs> So there's a the nebu the main portal to the dark dimension, you know, the Nebuzorian dimension is in the northern icy continent of Iskalisk in this mm-hmm. place called the Caves of the Cosmos, which I drew on a map. And it's under it's an underground uh place where it it used to be Greenland a long time ago. And that's where it was discovered in the sort of like um timeline before the Oros Boros extinction event by this by a team of scientists and a guy named jack weston rutherford so it's got a history to it wow, and then, yeah. yeah and um yeah and that's what champion and i were kind of um talking about a little bit because i had developed this sort of nebuzalorian stuff mm-hmm. and then um i just thought it'd be fun for because he wants to um and Ch- champion's valor's brother and uh yeah. he writes he songs and know. draws pictures and sometimes we collaborate um, but yeah, this character Picho Bush, which, which uh, um, I sort of developed with him as a um, way of collaborating on the crystalline mythos and still being able to, I don't know, collaborate with Champion in a way that was just fun for both of us. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't, t- it's not as tied to the crystalline mythos? Or- um, well, I just see it as like we recorded a song and uh-huh. uh and champions he's rapping up uh, as picho bush and ah. um and uh travis is this spider that nebuzalorian spider that lives in picho bush's head named sharky and oh. um 
And the idea is that back in the good old days, which is the timeline where before the year 2012, when Thorosboros happens, um, like near the end sometime, um, there's this record company called Phony Records. And mm -hmm. they've got this, um, they've got this uh, record executive named Dominic Dice. So if I ever rap on there, I'm going to be Dominic Dice. <laughs> and he, uh, he's, yeah, he's, he has signs, um, he signs Picho Bush and then um, Picho Bush is basically immortal after that. Um, mm -hmm. But he, yeah, he gets a spider implanted in his head so that he doesn't look like a zombie. Like normally the Nebuzalorian spiders, if they use a human as a host, they mm -hmm. burrow into their eye sockets and they come out looking all fucked up. Mm -hmm. So in the horror stories I was working on with champion, we're just playing on that idea. Like, um, okay. and so, and yeah, oh, in Hypnotica, there are Nebuzalorian zombies. They're, um, remember some of the, 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 um, they're like tourists from Machina who had come down and they were at the lake. They're the ones who killed one of the, the interns. The interns. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they've got like stuff growing out of their heads and stuff. Yeah. So Peach Bush is like one of them, but he's not, his own brain has been, is okay. So he's mm -hmm. in like, a, and his face is okay and stuff. So he's in a, a sort of psychological war with this spider that's evil. So he's and still he's good. aware. He's yeah. still aware. And so he eventually could defeat this spider and, you know, uh -huh. the arc would be like, we were talking about if we recorded some songs, the arc would go towards him defeating Sharky. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's just kind of a fun idea. Um, but yeah, I had developed, um, and I got to tell Champion about like the Jack Weston Rutherford stuff because that's really the, the sort of underlying, um, sort of, the Nebuzalorian dimension aspect where it where it comes from. But mm -hmm. that's in the, um, the text I document I've got called the Engines of Artara, which I talk about sometimes, but it's nowhere near mm -hmm. releasing. It's pretty long, and. Uh, yeah, I know. That's the thing about these these kinds of projects is they're so... Um, there's a lot. Yeah. yeah. There's to, a lot to it. And to release it in a digestible way might take a very long time, too. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I mean, I don't imagine you'd release it all as like something. Hey, here's everything. Read it all. Yeah. Well, I'd like to release some version of the Engines of Artaro in the next yeah, year course. or two or who knows, though. What, you know, like... <laughs> Emotipunk, how, how, how long is Engines of Ataro already? 25 pages. Okay. It's just, I want to get it to 50 or something. I don't know. Like I oh, said, okay. it was a novella, but it's very, there's no dialogue in it at all. It's just history. And uh -huh. um, I, as part of me thinks I should write dialogue. I, I might have a little bit in there, but um, it's just not, I guess because I, I was just trying to think how would the events have to play out for the world to get how it is. And so uh -huh. there's a lot of that. And um, it also turned into, um, you know, the way I sort of mapped out the Artaro family. Um, so yeah. here's like the Artaro family is like, you know, there's Stanley Artaro is sort of the main Artaro character, but you find out, oh, well, this guy's got ancestors. These guys, his father mm -hmm. and mother. And um, they all kind of live in different grandpa areas, and grandma. So. And there are various brothers and sisters in there and mm -hmm. marriages. Yeah. And um that goes all the way back to Winston Artaro, who's like five generations back. And then Stanley has his kids. So there's a sixth generation. I don't, remember, that, I don't remember reading about Stanley's kids. 
That's in Subliminal? Um, no, no. I remember they got married. Yeah, but he doesn't, get ma- he doesn't get married until late in the book, until the yeah. year 194 DC, late in Lucid in mm-hmm. Machina. But he has but kids he, in the second book. In the second book, he has um, two of them, and a third one is born okay. after that. Yeah, um, so. That's interesting. Yeah. And so that's the whole Artaro family. But when I was working on the engines of Artaro, I started developing some of the other families. And they're not as far along, uh, but some of them I realized I would need to develop. Like I had come up with this, um, I just drew a drawing of this character named Kendrick Finnegan. Mm-hmm. And uh, the significance of Kendrick Finnegan is that he um, manufactured blasters, the first energy blasters, you know, because okay. there's something, they're a new technology that didn't exist before the Orosboros. You know, mm-hmm. I think they probably didn't even show up during the days of Void. They probably show up in the the steam engines era. Mm-hmm. Although he was probably born in the end of the days of Void. Mm-hmm. But um, so he's kind of a contemporary of Winston Artaro. Um, and the steam engines era is kind of almost like World War One steampunk, where yeah. there's they're in trench warfare situations against the Ravel. Sorry, um, and um, yeah, it's complicated. I mean, so if you're listening and you're going, what the hell are the Ravel? They're these superhumans that live to the <laughs> east of. It wasn't called Machina then; it was called Optera in these days. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so um, you have this guy Kay Finnegan inventing all these blasters, and then I imagine he would have a family that goes down generations. And, um, you know, this is how everybody, like a K Finnegan blaster is the only way to go. Like an Artaro, the Artaro Corporation uses K Finnegan blasters. They Mm -hmm. don't, like an Artaro blaster would probably be a piece of crap in comparison. So it's just like, it maybe it'd be funny to even show one not working at some point Mm because you're just like, like, yeah. And it's, this is sort of, because Artaro is such a monopoly that a lot of times when the other businesses get, ahead it's because there's some product that artaro is just not doing well with like um water mm-hmm. artaro can't do water so very well it's all green and it's got all this algae content in it and mm-hmm. so the delphonic corporation figures out how to mine water off world and that becomes the main source and i think this algae is a similar thing where it kind of pops into existence so even if you filter you see what i'm saying so you're uh-huh. filtering uh, you'd be filtering the water that's on earth and they keep finding that, you know, algae keeps coming back and they can't, even all their science they're trying to do isn't working. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the problems like this, it's like why like the scientists puzzle about is because the universe doesn't work like the real universe, <laughs> you know, right. and that's what I'm discovering more and more as I think about it, because this is just a, a simulation or something. So why, you know, the rules would be just different. So you can make them whatever. You want. So anyway, you, I'm just you, rambling. You just, yeah. yeah, you, you just said something interesting. So this is a simulation. I mean, I guess you're just, it well, is a simulation because you it's have argue- the cheese theory in there. Right. Right. But, but you can argue about it, but, um, mm-hmm. but it's one way. It's just a mindset. It's just a way of looking at it. Cause I could also just one day, if I was working on it, look at it from like an agilarian perspective and then write a bunch of stuff that way. Sure. And, Right. So, and they, they don't see it as a simulation at all. 
they think this is just the way the world works. They just think that the universe is in tandem to these two dimensions and they see the Nebulorian one is evil and the Agilarian ephemeral realm is good. Mm -hmm. um, and so they want to veer, they probably want our universe to merge with the Agilarian dimension as much as possible and as little with the Nebulorian dimension as possible. That mm -hmm. seems like that's what they're thinking. And the Ravel seem to have some sort of worship of the golden Ravel that people like Kat Tanaka yeah. and Jack Weston Rutherford. Mm -hmm. And because Jack Weston Rutherford has a sort of Nebuzalorian dimension, they've got sort of, I think their worldview encapsulates both of the two realms, uh, the ephemeral realm and, and the Nebuzalorian realm. And they're looking at them as um, aspects of their sort of polytheistic golden Ravel canon, which they, you know, the way we look at the Greek gods. Yeah. They probably, cause their society has got a little bit of an ancient Rome vibe anyway. They would mm -hmm. view uh, the nine golden Ravel as their sort of pantheon. Okay. Yeah. And then beyond that, they view the dynasty, the Mars dynasty current in the high tech era is in charge over there. Mm. They view them or as almost like some sort of demigod, you know, and whoever's in charge is a sort of... is a sort of demigod. <laughs> right, right. Because they view the Ravel themselves as better than human. Right. And mm -hmm. so, and then the Golden Ravel, they have to acknowledge are even better than them in their worldview. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of like a, like, you know, yeah, it's very, they're, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're an imperfect society in that they're, they've got this goofy ideology and yeah. there's a lot of room for making them very prejudice you know um against humans so of course yeah right yeah so anyways that's um i feel like i just went on a really long rant about all this shit i never know I yeah I, <laughs> yeah so what do you think what do you want to um cover and i how long have we also been talking i have no idea an hour okay well we got a, a little bit more time <laughs> no okay i'll tell you about what i'm working on right now i'm doing um emotipunk and it's not going super fast i'm just trying to game out what grim's life was like six months before the novel and what how oh. he met, and how he met penelope and and then i started having the a similar issue to uh, hypnotica i figured it out but like the issue is you know conflict like what is the conflict and this one uh, even more so Hypnotica actually turned out to have some conflict, but this one, I, I'm not running into it. I'm just seeing a sort of um, character study so far. And that yeah. might be okay. That might be what it is. That's fine. I mean, you, you say it's six months prior. Yeah. And, but he, how long has he known Penelope? Six months. That's why. I mean, he really okay. hadn't known her that long. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he meets her at the bar, you know, she's, and I wrote in that he's got a girlfriend, she's got a boyfriend. Um, and they meet each other and, um, I just wrote a, uh, this, I'm just wrote a scene where they, um, sort of connect again on the, they run into each other and, um, uh, Grim, I'm establishing some stuff that's going to come back in Nightmare and Machina, like, um, sort of some of his contacts, um, what he likes to do, what, where he uh -huh. likes to go in the city. And they come up again and like, there's this guy named Chuck Wesley Wolf who collects rare items from, he has a shop called uh, Wolf's Rare Items. 
and um, Grimm goes there in in both um, the beginning of Nightmare in Machina, but also just in the short story. Mm-hmm. And so you see that Grimm likes to collect old music. So sometimes he'll get music that's from the good old days. So he might actually hear uh, real real world music, you know, mm-hmm. um, things like that. Um, so I've got I've only got thirty five hundred words, and it. it doesn't need to be long, but it needs to get to seven eight thousand words, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to do the art and uh, put that on the website, and you know, new characters. To develop a, f- a few yeah i mean i already drew chuck wesley wolf mm-hmm. i've drawn um grim's ex-girlfriend is daphne sue avalon i've drawn her mm-hmm. but she's in a band and i i i've thought about drawing the whole band that would be really cool yeah well this idea with the the ch- and i i did put a nod to picho bush uh this character that i was doing champion in the story yeah that he's on a poster or that he might perform mm-hmm. And I don't think I'm really going to put him in the story because I really only want to include him in stuff that I do um, with Champ. Okay. Uh, I want to reference him as like an in-world character, but yeah. But um, he's kind of the signature that you've worked with Champion on a story. Is if Feature Bush pops in. We, it's more like um, yeah. I would just picture like if I was ever, especially if I was working in a different medium, like. I always picture like, you know, if, what if you had a scene in a movie where they go into a club and then you have the band playing at the club and, mm-hmm. you know, you could have something like that. But that's just because I used to picture that with like, what if gorillas were, I feel like gorillas could walk around in this world if they walk, you know. Yeah. You know, but I don't know. If you had a movie, you, you know, you just have the, I guess it wouldn't make it, I don't know if it makes sense, but, but I'm just saying like, well, it's just, if it's a simulation, you know, that's the thing you can, you can game out a reason for anything. You just have to do the world building carefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are the, so what other mediums have you been hoping to tackle with it? Cause right now, obviously we have mainly just novellas, novel, short right. stories. A lot and- of character designs. Yeah, character design. So we have a lot of imagery that you've created. Maps. Um, you've created com- some short comics. We haven't yeah. had anything like a full story length type of comic. I know. But I, I wanted, think that's. Yeah. It seems more like storyboarding almost when you do the comics. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's what it seems like to me. Right. Um, I know. I, if I add more of them, if I get more pages, it'll start to come yeah. out a little bit more like a, a graphic novel of Lucid and Machina. Of course. Yeah. Um, Unless I go to some other story, but yeah, it's like, it's just like, um, just sort of learning how to do it. I, comics, the first thing I've learned is that they're really hard to do and very time consuming. And when you work full time, yeah. it's, you can't do it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you probably, I could, and I probably will a little bit, but it's just like, it'll take a lot longer. I did like 12 pages of, to do like the book, I think would take like 40 pages. So it's a lot to go. There's a lot yeah. left to do. That's a lot. That is a lot. Okay, so I feel like we covered comics. We covered <laughs> we covered some television shows. We talked about the boys mm-hmm. raised by wolves. So the recent comics we were doing. We talked about the crystal and mythos. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the only thing I can think of is just to talk about some popular science stuff, and then we could wrap it up. You we know, did talk about Venus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I keep going back to the simulation. I talk about futurism. Oh, I know what I want to talk to you about. Okay. I want to talk to you about GMOs. 
And, uh, um, uh, okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, when I talk to a lot of people, um, there's a few things actually, and you can tell me what you think about these, but when mm -hmm. I talk to a lot of people, um, these things come up, people don't really like GMO foods. Um, people, mm -hmm. a lot of times they don't like nuclear power and, um, yes. and then, um, uh, sometimes the universal basic income comes up with people and, um, I like that idea as well. Mm -hmm. I, I like a lot of, it's funny because a lot of my politics has been colored by just being a sci-fi geek. Uh -huh. um, but um, yeah, automation, I think about that stuff. But the GMOs is um, this idea, uh, oh, and lab-grown meat, that was one I was thinking about. Yeah, so when, that's a weird one. I talked to people and you know you know i have friends who are, are vegans and things like that and mm -hmm. I, I i just sometimes i think about um how i personally really like meat even though i feel like it's bad from an ethical standpoint and mm -hmm. so it seems like a technological solution makes a lot of sense um not only for me but for like most of the world probably like if you want especially if like mcdonald's or something implemented it but I think people have this sort of bias about, especially in the environmental movement, about um, wanting to move back uh, to a sort of 19th century, we have a windmill, we have green pastures, but they don't acknowledge mm -hmm. that the population is like over, is going to, well, Huge. it's going to be 10 billion and I mean, I'm just guessing, but like 2050, think about the world we live in. Think about how many chickens people eat, how much methane mm -hmm. is put in the air by cows. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, of course, we're, I think like the idea of eating organic seems like we need to be like growing stuff in like vertical food towers to feed this many people and making tomatoes yeah. that could grow in the cold. And Okay, you get my point. I was just yeah, wondering what yeah. your thoughts no, I, I get what you're going. stuff. So, I mean, I guess if we're going into it on, I, I don't have, I, I know what you're talking about because I, I think we all know people who are vegan who are, and there was def, um what was that movie that talked about Monsanto a lot back in the... Oh, uh, man. You know what I'm talking about. There's a movie... Well, there's a few. I remember one was about corn. It was called King Corn. There was another uh -huh. one just about Monsanto. Yeah. Yeah, there, but there's been a bunch of them. And basically, Monsanto basically doing a bunch of GMOs. And it's kind mm -hmm. of put given GMOs this really bad connotation. Um, anything genetically modified. Whereas in when you genetically modify these things, you don't, you can modify them in kind of a natural process way where you're taking how we did with corn in the first place, where it's right. kind of just a little grass thing mm -hmm. and we just breed the larger ones until we get. Yeah. Until you get this monster corn. corn. That's, that's really genetic useful. modification. Right. And so people, that's what we do with our dogs. People choose dogs that have are smaller and look a certain way. And then they breed those. You're genetically modifying them. Because it's the breeding not in, process. Exactly. You're, you're choosing, yeah. you're selecting the breeding process. You're not doing natural selection. I think, personally, I think the whole idea that there has to be a natural way right. kind of just makes me roll my eyes a little bit. Like, well, you're defining what's natural constantly right. and it's changing. As something more extreme comes, either you're switching or you're doing, people are kind of just moving these goalposts. Um, yeah, I, I, I first, yeah, I feel similarly. I'm very, I'm much, I'm a skeptic, and I'm a bit of a, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm critical about even a lot of things I agree with. Like mm -hmm. I could criticize, you know, 
um, modes of thought or uh, movements or any mm -hmm. things I agree with. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's so, healthy. I, I think that one of the things about the whole anti-GMO thing is, mm -hmm. um, for me personally, I think I am very much on board with the idea of moving away from meat. Yeah. Meat, and this is mostly just because of the population that we have. Right. The amount of resources and energy we put into growing a cow, growing right. a chicken. Right. It's exponentially larger than it takes to grow corn. Right. Grow it takes a lot of grow. um takes a lot of water. Takes water. And, uh, we were talking about the the the, the methane. I mean mm -hmm. but also just the industrial farm practices and the suffering. So you put that all of animals is it I mean you you add that on top of it. But if I look at it from a kind of just a heartless standpoint where I'm not thinking about other creatures. Oh, cheeseburger tastes yeah. good. Right. Cheeseburger tastes good. I my favorite right. one of my favorite things to eat is a is a burger. So so yeah, so to me the futurist sort of problem solving mentality makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And, and um, when we talk about lab grown meat. Love that idea. I'm on board with it just because the idea yeah. that we're making meat without having to create all the things that we aren't going to use, which is we're making, there's all this fur on cows that a lot of times they're just going to get rid of and they're not going to turn into, they'll turn some of it into leather. There's bones that they're just going to throw out. There's all the stuff that we're, right. we're growing these creatures and then we're killing them and then we're taking all the stuff we want, getting rid of what we can't use. If we can just grow the stuff we want, yeah, and not have to go through the process of killing animals. If right. we can actually, if we can grow something synthetic that's similar, has the same type of nutrient properties as meat, right. similar texture, so everybody can enjoy it. I'm totally. Well, the thing is, is yeah, personally, I don't think that, um, and just in the market, that um, sort of like veggie burgers and. Uh, meat alternatives are going to really cut it. I think the lab grown lab grown meat means meat. You know, like yes. it's a steak. Like in any mm -hmm. like if you might not even realize you were eating a lab grown steak. Maybe you'd, especially with hamburgers, I could really picture like you'd go to mm -hmm. Burger King or something, and you just get the, people don't know what's in the Whopper. They don't care. So, but the point yeah. is that, that would be an industrial like that would amount to like some marked like amount of cows that were not turned into the burgers mm -hmm. instead they were you know lab grown burgers and that yeah. that was actually a significant impact and the market like people don't care because it tastes exactly the same it is meat um because mm -hmm. once it isn't meat once it's a like a a, a, a imitation meat uh consumers will notice and a, a yeah. lot of people in the environmental movement in general are very critical or cynical of capitalism to the point that sometimes I feel they don't really understand capitalism and like market forces. So they ignore them. Mm -hmm. And so they, they, there's oversight. I mean, you know what I mean? There's, they miss things. They have a blind yeah. spot. So like, that's what I was thinking if about. You want, if you want to conduct change right now, we live in a very capitalist society in the U S at least. And part yeah. of making that change is working within the rules established by capitalism, by our democracy yeah. to enact that change for real. I think, yeah, like what you're saying, there's a lot of environmentalists or I guess, yeah, I had just seen that movie people um, who are just, who are, don't really pay attention to that. Right. They don't right. try to work within that. And I, and I get the ideas because so a lot of times you have to make compromises because you can't go full for what you want. 
Right, right. Yeah, and I, I'm not in those confines. I'm not trying to be all super political or anything. I just think about. No, no, um, I know what you mean. But I, but these things I do think as far as futurism, this is what what it, like what it the kinds of things you think about like. I think I was thinking it's also thinking similarly about nuclear power because um, mm -hmm. one thing I had found interesting was this idea of switching over to thorium uh, as a alternative to now I see this as a thing where I'm not a scientist so I just don't know how viable or like what that like why that maybe hasn't happened yet or if it's that something that because so I know with like the hydrogen fuel cell they're like saying it was going to happen and then it it didn't materialize yeah. and battery technology seems to be the new thing with electric cars and mm. maybe that maybe that's just a better route to go but like you know plutonium you, you know uranium things like that that's like these like super dangerous obviously um mm -hmm. i mean incredibly dangerous materials so maybe if they had reactors that were thorium they could still they wouldn't have to get rid of the current reactors they could power things do nuclear in a safer way um mm. but the idea of uh, getting rid of nuclear power plants to me it sounds like you're gonna get rid of a lot of energy and that means that people are <laughs> mm -hmm. not gonna have power <laughs> i mean the the idea of getting rid of it is very so i feel like it's very similar to why hydrogen fuel cells never really took off is because there's dangers with it that get yeah. over, almost over publicized that all of a sudden turns everybody off and i think hydrogen fuel cells were a good idea because the refuel on that the refuel time on that is so much faster than charging an electric car. I mean, mm. you charge an you charge a Tesla, you're going to sit there for two hours to get like yeah. ninety percent charge. You could do you could do I think they say you can do like seventy or something percent in thirty. They just minutes, got to come up with better batteries, but I think that's the trajectory right. is what's that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and, and but the hydrogen fuel cells happening. were better batteries. Okay. Well, I just don't know quite as much about it. I just remember like Arnold Schwarzenegger talking about them <laughs> and then, and then them not materializing or, or them mm -hmm. having to use fossil fuels to generate the power to, that's a lot of mm -hmm. things like that new, there's a new environmental documentary that Michael Moore put out. That's very controversial and uh, critical of, um, I don't know, just the, uh, some big environmentalist sort of companies and green the green energy industry and oh, really? um yeah and, and i i'm seeing a lot of that sort of um cynicism of people like elon musk and because he's yeah. a billionaire and and um but you know to me um developing the technologies to go to mars or something like that or to sustain uh mm -hmm. they require uh incremental um like development like you know yeah. and that requires the market and so i i think about it like that a little bit yeah no i think uh i think when you think you, how you're thinking of it is almost as in a larger picture kind of view like mm -hmm. i think a lot of people want change right away um yeah. but for if we're going to develop like in, when we go to mars there's not going to be fossil fuels for us to mine all the time we can use we can get collect energy from the sun Mm -hmm. solar, solar. so you have to develop yes solar. you need solar and then you need electric cars because you're not going to be able to drive around gas cars around there yeah it's probably true i wonder yeah i mean i to, when i when elon started doing all the things i initially it all seemed like he was building everything in place that needed for travel like basically how am i going to be able to live on or do stuff on mars well, if I mm -hmm. want to drive, I need electric cars. I need to be able to collect solar power, 
So right. he's working with solar panel technology. Um, I wonder if they, they could do geothermal like on Mars. I mean, I imagine it would have those same. I, so Mars does not have an active, uh, like a mm. very warm core. It's not, they don't have plate tectonics like we do. That's weird. Yeah, they're going to have to, it's funny how much yeah. the environment dictates how these things mm -hmm. um, work, you know. Yeah, Sometimes you'll hear people say offhand, like, well, if you ever want people to go to the moon, they got to find oil up there. It's like oil is generated because <laughs> of like organic, like, you know, from, I can't remember, it was the Cretaceous or, 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 I think they actually, one of these, some period in history with dinosaurs, right? And they, mm -hmm. they, uh, they died and. They die, they get pressed together and we get, we get, uh, yeah, petroleum or, I mean, yeah, that petrol. sounds like if ever there was just like, okay, our energy is like built on circumstance. That's like, <laughs> that's it right there. That's it right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, and I, I, you, you had mentioned something about like how just now about, uh, how we're still using gas to make a lot of our electricity to power your electric car. Yeah. And I've heard people criticize a lot of the electric car, like anybody trying to get an electric car, like, oh, you know, you're still burning uh, fuel to get that because that's where it's coming from. I understand is, that. But yeah, I see. I'm sorry. I, let me just say this one thing real quick. Mm -hmm. I, I see um, that sort of slowly evolving into the green energy industry becoming more dominant. And as it becomes more dominant, it sort of pushes out. I mean, that might be ugly, but it might push out the pet, the, you know, the oil companies and things. Yeah. And then um, the infrastructure sort of transitions to uh, using yeah. batteries and solar and wind and all that. That's kind of what I see happening. It, and that's exactly what I think would happen as well. You would basically take that to transition. But the one thing that I don't hear anybody say to people who make that comment is um, it's so much more efficient to just burn the gas in these generators than to do it inside of a car. And to oh, take yeah, it, yeah. and then to take that gas and travel it all around the country. Oh, absolutely! At millions of locations. So if you can just focus it on a few good generators who have much higher efficiencies, yeah, and then you can much more, much easier, or much more cheaply, as far as energy-wise, send that energy to some other location. You get a little bit of signal loss as it travels through the wire, but for the most part, you get a lot better efficiency sending that energy through cables yeah. to another location. And that's not that's apparent to anyone because people don't aren't good at math. I mean, let's be, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm good at math. I'm just saying that that was something I thought about. And I, when I thought about that, I would, I actually remember just talking with people and mm -hmm. um, people just come, that being something that flew over people's heads, didn't even think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yet you're still touching gas, of course, yeah. but it's much more efficient. You're, you're not wasting any energy tra yeah, traveling so I, it around the country anymore. You know, this is one thing I actually do feel kind of optimistic because it seems like these things are kind of, there's just a trajectory towards these things. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, they're long trajectories, but like think of yeah. like the next 30 years. I mean, that's, we're going to have more of this stuff. I mean, there might be, the only thing that sucks is that we might end up in some situation where, the environmental problems that we're contending with, even if we have better technologies by then, they're so big. Like, mm -hmm. you know, obviously we've seen these wildfires and this heat, yeah. heat waves. And <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a lot of stuff happening. That yeah, if that stuff continues to get worse, I mean, then, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. 
but maybe eventually, yeah, we'll have these terraforming technologies that basically turn into big AC systems or, or mm -hmm. just ways of sort of regulating. Because you would need to develop that to go to Mars because Mars yes. is very cold. You might need heaters mm -hmm. or you might need to produce oxygen. I don't know. So yeah. these, those no, kind of systems. Would. Yeah, so those kind of systems are developing those are would help us on Earth. So uh, when mm -hmm. sometimes you hear, and I've heard like Bill Maher say this and I think Bill Maher's funny and stuff, but like, you know, I've heard him say, well, why are we going to Mars? You hear this all the time. Why do we want to go to Mars when Earth, uh, you know, when we, we need to save the Earth, essentially. Mm -hmm. And it's like that attitude is so like not, not the right attitude. It, and I mean, I get where they're coming. I get where it's coming from. They're basically trying to, I feel like it's a kind of a resource allocation type of argument. Like, hey, if we have all these scientists focusing on going to Mars, why don't we just turn those scientists back towards Earth? fixing the earth? And, and I get that you're number one, you're not going to get a bunch of those scientists that want to work on going to Mars to focus on environmental stuff. They well, just, you can get NASA people to, to have satellites that look at the earth and sort of, and we do. that's cool. Yeah, we have that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think there's something misguided about that way of thinking. Um, and then even worse is this sort of um, people who are so hung up on overpopulation that they think like you shouldn't have kids and stuff because they they i don't think they <laughs> think that uh, that the that mars and stuff like that's even possible they're um uh -huh. they're they're um there's yeah there's just something that's another thing i sometimes see uh and i'm not i'm not against the environmental movement i i i, I like the environmental movement i think it's important same, same here for yeah i mean yeah. I'm, I'm personally yeah. i am very much Pro yeah, for us learning ways to use our energy much better and much safer. right. Yeah, and I'm very. I personally, when I see a good veg, veg vegetarian menu, I usually try to pick off of a vegetarian menu personally because right. I don't like. Yeah, supporting the meat industry because it's wasteful to me. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I see a lot of the personally. I see a lot of the environmentalists and myself as how can we be more efficient as a species on this planet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to me, that's also just as a, you know, as a sci-fi geek, that's like a total, yeah. that's like the total like meditations that, especially mm -hmm. if the goal is to not get to a dystopian sci-fi world and you, you want to get to Star, Star Trek. Trek. Yeah. Yes. Cause Star Trek, by the way, is like the only like, well, not the only, but as far as utopian sci-fi goes, it's like, it's the, the Holy grail. Cause like, um, everything is dystopian after blade runner it's all yes. dystopian and um, nobody thinks the world's going to survive well and everybody and thinks you, humans hate each other and, mm -hmm. and we're going to fight evil robots basically uh, and evil corporations and stuff the the notion that we're going to all get along and and journey through outer space and uh -huh. explore new worlds is just doesn't come up anymore yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> but i think that that's something you know i don't know maybe sometime that's the only that's a genre i should i would would make, I don't know if I'll ever write that, but oh really? Uh, I don't know. See, I I appreciate that stuff a lot. I love Star yeah. Trek. Yeah, and I yeah, I guess for me personally, I it's hard for me to picture it. Because mm -hmm. um, there there is a story that I was thinking of, of kind of putting down because I have Cherish and I have were doing a bunch of like little writing stuff a while ago. And right. uh, it was just, but based, I think a lot of my personal beliefs on how humanity is going to survive is not as humanity any longer. Right. Of course. I, just, I don't, I don't think 
the human body is number one is very well built for space travel. Uh, right, right. I don't right. think I we're very sensitive. Yeah, there's we a there's so a um, a bio uh, bioengineering or a genetic uh, alt mm -hmm. alteration sort of component. Yeah, exactly. Basically, cyber. something something kind of transhumanist as yeah. far as either us somehow taking our brain and somehow mimicking that into computers and creating basically robot children that are taking forward the human species. Well, that's one possibility. That's but, one possibility. But that yeah, was yeah. that was the that was the story I was thinking of. Basically, oh, you have robots going out who are my, who are like going out yeah. and mining resources and sending it back to the people here. They weren't created as replacements for us, but they basically right. become it because they are able to spread throughout the galaxy much faster and much easier oh, than okay. we are. Yeah, yeah. And they're sending yeah. stuff and they're doing studies out there and sending yeah. it back to us. Well, and, and that eventually be, yeah. humans, eventually humans die out on earth because yeah. the earth just, we, we're, we're done. We're what sensitive. For? We could, it's we just can't, like, we, yeah, we can't survive the earth changing. Might not even be so bad because you just transfer your consciousness into one of these robot uh, mm -hmm. symbiotes or whatever. And yeah. but the the um, I do see a plus side, you know, that is even realistic about that about um, a mechanical or um, technological ro like body being good for space travel um, mm -hmm. uh, long distance. Like that that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, um, I'm getting. It's part of Raised by Wolves. Some cars uh, going in the back. You know what? Let's just end here. That was yeah. um, really uh, interesting, and um, I do think if you keep writing stuff, I'd want to talk about it on here. You know, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think we we covered all kinds of stuff, and um, we did. <laughs> I think we hit everything doing, we talked about. Yeah, just lots of stuff. Okay, so uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, if you want to support the podcast, you can do so on Patreon. Um, so that's www.patreon.com slash crystalline mythos. Uh, you can find that link in the show notes. Um, or you could check out uh, the website, crystallinemythos.com, and I'll have a link for that in the show notes too. And there's a new digital world map that we just put up on the website. So that's that's cool too. And um, Valor, same as last time, you didn't really have um, anything you were trying to promote or nothing. But no, I don't have anything to promote. Um, maybe he'll have go an article at some point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been doing yeah. some artwork recently and uh, yeah. Cherish, uh, Cherish and I are writing up or kind of writing a children's book together. We are writing a children's book together and that's what I'm kind of practicing digital drawing for. So right, right. I, if I, when we get that finished, I'll post that up and maybe create an account just to promote it. All right. Sounds good. And that's the discussion. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, I'd like to thank all of the patrons, uh, and I'd like to thank all of the people who have just been supportive of the project. And uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. Yeah, and, and check out the website. All right. See you, everybody. <laughs>